This is JC Talks, a leadership podcast, episode 57, with me, your host, JC Hurtado Prater. And today we're talking about five factors that empower your irrational self. Low-grade emotions continually affect our thinking and they originate from our own impulses. For instance, the desire for pleasing and comforting thoughts. High-grade emotion, however, comes at certain emotions, excuse me, certain moments, reaches an explosive pitch and is generally sparked by something external, a person who gets under our skin or particular circumstances, whatever they may be. The level of arousal is higher and our attention is captured completely. The more we think about the emotion, the stronger it gets. You've been there and I've been there, which makes us focus even more on it and so on and so forth. Our minds tunnel into the emotion and everything reminds us of our anger or excitement. We become reactive. Because we're unable to bear the tension this brings, high-grade emotion usually culminates in some rash action with disastrous consequences. I've sure been there before. In the middle of such an attack, we feel possessed as if a second limbic self has taken over. It is best to be aware of these factors so that you can stop the mind from tunneling and prevent the releasing action that you will always come to regret. You should also be aware of high-grade irrationality in other people, right? We might have another word for that, toxic people, highly dysfunctional people, to either get out of the way or help bring them back to reality or just get out of the situation, right? Uh, So again, it talks about this idea of high-grade and low-grade emotions. The higher the grade of emotions, a lot of times it makes us do things that we don't want to do. So again, we're talking about today five factors that will empower your irrational self. So if you look back on your life and you say, okay, here are the moments that I've been irrational, more than likely one of these factors that we're going to talk about today probably triggered that moment of irrationality. So let's dive in. Okay. Let's start off with this. Here's the first trigger uh, or here's the first, uh, here's the first factor that will empower your irrational self. Um, And it's trigger points from early childhood. And here's what Robert Greene has to say. In early childhood, we went, uh, we were at our most sensitive and most vulnerable. Our relationship to our parents had a much greater impact on us the further back in time we go. The same could be said for any early powerful experience. These vulnerabilities and wounds remain buried deep within our minds. So here's what I want to say, okay? Um, What Whatever you went through early on in life, especially with your parents, that is going to impact you to this day. It it is amazing to me. And again, I've been very open about this and I I have no shame in my game. Uh, Eight years ago, I realized I had some blocks in my life. And so I found a counselor and uh, she's been on the journey with me ever since then. And I don't, I I have no clue where I'd be without her. And, And here's the deal. I know many more people who probably should be in the same process, who need to be, you know, getting the help that they need. Um, And what I came to find through this process is, you know, I I kept making decisions that I just didn't like. I mean, things like diet. um, I I had an unfinished degree at the time. Um, 
from a great school, but there was like one class I needed to take. And uh, my diet, the decisions I made, I, I rushed into things. I was extremely defensive. And I still wrestle with that to this day a little bit. It was something I'm still working on, but I was extremely defensive. I took everything personal. And what I learned is that all of that, all of that, went back to my own relationship with my parents. And now if you know anything about my story, I was uh, born uh, in South America, but I was, uh, uh, I, I was born and immediately placed eight months into a, an orphanage where I didn't have a mom and dad. I, I, you know, I, I was able to meet my, my birth mother uh, through Facebook before she passed away a couple of years ago. And that was, that was incredible, but I never ever met my father. And the way I came to be in, in the decisions he made early on uh, in my life, even when I was still in the womb, um, I, I never understood how much those impacted me and how many of the decisions I make. And that's not to make excuses for any decisions I made in life, you know, you know, good or bad. But we have to understand this. And here's the point I'm trying to make, that many of the decisions that I've made in life that I've not been proud of, I could trace them all the way back to looking for something that could only be found with my original birth parents. And so here's the deal. There are people out there who are listening to this and you were given amazing parents and you were given an amazing foundation. And I celebrate with you. And that's one of the greatest gifts that you can be given is to be given two parents uh, who gave you the love that you needed, who gave you the affection that you needed, the foundation. Uh, and, and and they don't have to be rich. They don't, I, I mean, you know that, right? Great parents, it has nothing to do with how much money you make. It has nothing to do with the job you have, any of that, right? Uh, now, now, some of those things are great, but but I remember one of the greatest dads I ever met, a friend of mine, her name was Sadalise Couch at the time, and uh, she's married now, so she has a different last name, but her father, and they had, she, uh, her mother and father, and they, and they lived in a little tiny home, and her father was a janitor at the, uh, at the local library, and her mother, I forget what her mother did for a living, but they didn't live, you know, they, they didn't have a lot of money. But I remember her father was the most incredible human being and a great father to her, to say at least. And I remember I had some, some chances to be with him and I wished I was smarter at the time to know who I was talking to. So I had, so I would have taken more advantage of, of my talks with him and my times with him. And, um, uh, but I just remember he was an incredible father. So I say all that to say this. There are some of you out there who were given really great parents. And it's a beautiful thing. And because you were given great parents and a great foundation, you probably have a, a, a history of making really great decisions in life. There are others of us that, that weren't, weren't given that same uh, same platform to start with. And I, now I'm not blaming because again, I go to this idea that we all do the best we can with the tools we have, right? So your parents did the best they could. And and if they weren't great parents, it means they didn't have great tools, right? Uh, and if they were incredible parents, it means they had incredible tools and they probably had incredible parents themselves. And so, so all I'm saying here is this, you will never understand, again, until you get into counseling, you become more introspective that a lot of the choices you're making today are because of early childhood wounds or early childhood successes, right? So I, I want to make that clear. Um, it's really important to understand how your early childhood is affecting what you're doing today. I always thought as a kid, uh, I remember years ago hearing um, 
uh, he was a, a very successful man. And I remember he, hearing him talk about it. He said, anytime I hire somebody, I always ask about their parents. I always ask about their family of upbringing. And I remember thinking, that's stupid. Why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. The older I get, the more I understand it. Uh, when you hear a person talk about their family, when you hear about what they came through, you will get a really clear picture of where they're going. Again, unless there's a lot of work involved and they're doing a lot of personal work and they're trying to overcome. So I want you to understand that, that, that if you're in a season of life where you're not making the decisions you want to, I guarantee you, I promise you this, Now you won't believe this. You're probably not doing the work you need to be, but you can trace it all the way back to some kind of a parenting issue or something that happened in your early childhood. There's something I underlined here and I start, so I just want to read it. The great danger here is that in misreading the present, and reacting to something in the past, we create conflict, disappointments, and mistrust that only strengthen the wound. That's deep right there. So again, if we're in the present and we, we, we're not introspective, so we're making decisions based on the past, um, you know, we're just making that wound even deeper. In some ways, we are programmed to repeat the early experience in the present. Our only defense is awareness that it's happening. So this is key, this idea of being rational versus irrational. One of the most important keys is awareness, is understanding, hey, right now I am being irrational or right now my emotions are on a, on a, you know, my emotions are out, uh, my emotions are out of whack. So before I make this decision, I need to be thinking deeply. I need to go, you know, uh, mentally, I need to go harder on myself. I need to maybe bring a counselor or a friend in and just sit down and talk, you know, with somebody and have them ask me really great questions. We've, we've got to understand this awareness is key, right? But I wanted to spend extra time there because I want to make sure you understand that, that your early childhood uh, will always determine uh, where you are in life. And again, if you didn't have a great early childhood, unless you're getting the help you need to overcome that, you will continue to make decisions uh, and repeat decisions from the past. Okay. Sudden, so that's number one. Uh, that's the first factor that will empower your irrational self, right? So if you find yourself being irrational, I guarantee you somewhere in there is something that happened to you a long time ago. Number two are sudden gains and sudden losses. Now, this was interesting for me to read. And here's what Robert Greene has to say. Sudden success or winnings can be very dangerous. And this is very true. N Neurologically, chemicals are released in the brain that give a powerful jolt of arousal and energy, leading to the, the desire to repeat this experience. It can be the start of any kind of addiction and manic behavior. Also, when gains come quickly, we tend to lose sight of the basic wisdom that true success to really last must come through hard work. I've been there before, and maybe you've been there, and I won't elaborate too much on that, but I've been in situations before where success came quickly. And I, I think I told you, because of the talent that I had growing up, the musical talent, the singing talent, I was placed on platforms early on in life. I never made it famous or anything like that. Um, I probably could have if I'd had the discipline and the, the willingness to go after it, but I never did. But I was still given major platforms. I was given a lot of attention young, and that almost lasted up into my early 30s. And, and then I got fired from a job. And it wasn't because of anything I did. It wasn't anything scandalous or anything like that. They just were making changes. And I was part of that change. And so they handed me a check, a severance check. And I said, we appreciated uh, your service here, but it's no longer needed. And so you're out. And I remember it, but that was like 32, 33. Uh, it may have been 10, 11 years ago. So I, I was in my early 30s when that happened. And I'd never been through something that, that difficult 
ever. Now, I'd, I've been through difficult times for sure, but I, I just had success after success after success. And I'd never had someone, you know, burst my balloon that way. And this was a major, I thought with this organization, I was going to be there for the rest of my life. Um, and yet when that happened, I walked in on a Monday and they said, hey, we so appreciate the work you've done, but we're making changes and you're, you'll no longer be a part of the organization here. Um, and, uh, and I think it hurt more because I, I just had so many successes and so many wins year after year after year, um, that I felt that I was invincible. And so that was a dangerous place to be. Now, obviously I've worked hard, you know, since that and I, I didn't let myself stay down, but it probably, I mean, I'm still talking about it 10 years, you know, 10 years later. Right. So obviously it stung. Um, but it probably took me six months to a year in the immediate aftermath to let go of the bitter anger. I mean, I had so much anger and hatred, uh, towards that place. And, and, and again, I've processed all of that since then. And so that's not an issue. And, and I was able to look and say, okay, what are the reasons? And I was able to take stock of what I could have done better, but it was re- really, really hard. I, I've started something else here. It says this, the solution here is simple. Whenever you experience unusual gains or losses, watch this. That is precisely the time to step back and counterbalance them with some necessary pessimism or, or optimism. And I've learned this in life. Um, and it's, I, I fully believe in being positive 24-7. I think that's an important way to be. But I've also learned in life that when great things happen, it's okay to step, you know, to step back and say, hey, this is wonderful. But just understand that you're not going to be on this mountaintop forever. There will be a valley. There's always a valley that follows the mountaintop. And so that's one of the things I've learned now. And one of the things I'm trying to become more uh, at, at this stage in my life is just be more even keel. When something really great happens, awesome. Uh, and just stay steady, stay steady, stay steady. When something not so great happens, okay, let's deal with it. Stay steady, stay steady, stay steady. Don't, don't get up in arms and, you know, get all emotional and, oh, the sky is falling. No, it's not. Um, you're, you're just having a bad day. My, my counselor, Jeannie, reminds me of this whenever we have a, a session and I'm not having a great day. She said, you know what? Uh, it, it goes back to that song. And I think it's from the 1960s. Mama said there are going to be days like this. And so that's important for us to remember. There will be good days and there will be not so good days. Uh, n- uh, number three, the number three factor that empowers your irrational self are uh, it's called rising pressure. And here's what Robert Greene has to say. The people around you generally appear sane and in control of their lives, but put any of them in stressful circumstance, uh, circumstances, with the pressure rising, and you will see a different reality. The cool mask of self-control comes off. They suddenly lash out in anger, reveal a paranoid streak, and become hypersensitive and often petty. Under stress or any threat, the most primitive parts of the brain are aroused and engaged, overwhelming people's reasoning powers. In fact, stress or tension can reveal flaws in people that they have carefully concealed from view right? It's often wise to observe people in such moments precisely as a way to judge their true character. So that's how we can judge other people. But I want you to understand that's how you can judge yourself as well. If you want to know uh, what your character truly is life uh, is like, if you want to understand that, go through something hard. Uh, I'm a spiritual person. Uh, and so I pray for things at time. And one of the things I've prayed for uh, in, in the last year, two of the things have been patience And when I say patience, it means giving something long-term thinking, right? Growing in my idea of consistency and long-term thinking. And I've also prayed to become more of a serious person. Um, 
that was, just, and I don't know why there, well, I, I guess I do know why there are reasons there, but I felt like in my life that there was a lack of seriousness um, that I was bringing to the table. And so I began praying. I said, Hey, you know, God, um, I, I'd, I'd love it. If you, you know, bring me more, more seriousness. I'd love it. If, if you brought me more patience. Now, when you pray for those things, you're going to get the opposite of what you're praying for, right? The only way you gain patience is to by going through something that will develop patience. And that usually means something hard, something, uh, something difficult, something where you're caused to wait and wait and wait. And then what you see over time, um, and I'm actually still in the waiting room, to be honest, as I'm recording this, I'm in the waiting room in a situation in my life. Um, but what I'm learning is that it's not killing me. The waiting room is not going to kill me, right? And, and I don't know what lies on the other side of the door. It could be the answer I want. It couldn't. It could be the answer I don't want. And if it's the answer I don't want, it's going to be disappointing. It's going to be hard. But I promise you, I'll figure it out. And you know, you go to the next step. Um, but but this idea of patience, and then this idea of becoming more serious. Well, how do you become more serious? Well, you got to go through hard things, right? And so whatever it is that you're 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 facing in life. Um, that you're praying for in life, you're going to get the opposite before you get it. I promise you, I promise you, you get it. But this is where character shines through. And I think to be transparent with you this year of all years in my life. Um, and, and, and I'm really proud of what I'm seeing. My character has shown through more this year. And this has been one of the greatest and toughest years of my life. Um, because of the rising pressure. So it's still there and it's, it's, it hasn't gone away. I'm recording this as I'm facing it even now, but I hope and pray that I get to the end of this year and that my character has remained intact and, the, and, the, and that my, my, uh, my consistency has, has, has remained intact. But the same thing goes for you, right? The, um, this can empower the irrational self. I found for me, I actually become more rational the harder life gets. So maybe that's why life keeps bringing you know challenges my direction. Um, but rising pressure, it, it 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 just reveals what you already are. It's 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 like that saying that says. Uh, success doesn't make you anything. It just reveals what you already are. This is the same thing with pressure, right? When you get put into a hard time, it's going to reveal your character. But if we're not careful, if we're not careful, going through stressful times and rising pressure can increase our rational self. Okay. So that's number, uh, that's number three. Let's go to number four, the fourth factor that empowers your irrational self. So you've got to be on the watch out for these things. So you have to know when you're going through these things, when you're, um, you know, that, you know, that they're triggers from your early childhood. Uh, if you go through a sudden gain or a sudden loss, uh, that's going to trigger the irrational self rising pressure in your life that could, you know, trigger that could empower the irrational self. And the number four is this inflaming individuals. There are people in the world, this is what Robert Greene says, who by their nature tend to trigger powerful emotions in everyone they encounter. These emotions range from extreme love or hatred or confidence or mistrust. And to give some examples, King David from the Bible, Julius Caesar in ancient Rome, uh, and Bill Clinton was one of the examples it gave. And I remember this. Um, I I was coming of age kind of in the nineties and, and Bill Clinton was the president from 1992 all the way to 2000. So he, he, he was the leader of the free world during that decade. Um, uh, the president of the United States. And I remember when he first came on the scene, he was, gee, he came out of nowhere. At, uh, unless you were really politically in tune, you wouldn't know who he was. And I wasn't necessarily at the time I knew national politics, but I wasn't studying the different States, but it wasn't until, uh, he, he was running for election. And I think it was like 1992 uh, that year. 
um, um, th- that I heard somebody, a teacher, someone I looked up to talk about him. And what they said was when they were talking about him, they, all they talked about was his charisma. And, 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 and they talked about, you know, how he was as a person in his speeches and how he knew how to communicate. And this person had never met him just through TV. That's what they said. And that was coming after the Reagan era. And then H.W. Bush had won. So we had 12 years of Republican, not not necessarily control, but 12 years of a Republican presidency. And the world was just different back in the time. And here comes this this governor, uh, this southern governor with this, you know, southern uh, charm or whatever it was. And he he overtakes the sitting president. Most people didn't think he would make it that far. Um, but here's what also happened. Many people hated him. I never I'll never forget hearing so many people. I mean, you heard people talk about him. He was just oh, he was amazing in his charm and his charisma. And then the other side was he was a disgusting human being. And, you know, you looked at his um his past and some of the things he'd done and some of the accusations made against him and people found all the ways. So what this is talking about here is that to get back to what we're talking about here today, triggers, right. Um, or factors that will empower your irrational self. Are there are people in your journey on your journey in your life that will empower your rational self. And here's what it has to say. It is best to recognize these inflamers by how they affect others, not just yourself. No one can remain indifferent to them, right? You either love them or you hate them. We saw that in the last two elections. That's kind of how it was. That's how it is every four years when we have our presidential elections. People find themselves incapable of reasoning or maintaining any distance in their presence. They make you think of them continually when, um, when not in their presence. They have an obsessive quality and they can lead you to extreme actions as a devoted follower or as, a, or as an enemy, right? Um, on the other end of the spectrum, attraction or repulsion Uh, you will tend to be irrational and you will desperately need to distance yourself. So this is important for you to understand. And it doesn't have to be a political figure. It can be someone in your life. They're going to be, they're either going to, by who they are, right? Just who they are. You're going to be massively attracted to them and you're going to become irrational or you're going to be massively uh, repulsed by them and you're going to become irrational. Again, we see this um, in, in politics every four years. I have a buddy of mine that says one side provokes um, the other side. Like uh, He has a better way of saying it, but he said the extremes provoke the extremes or whatever it is. And so that's the same thing here. So we've got to understand this, that uh, nothing will empower your irrational self like feelings of absolute hatred towards somebody or feelings of absolute love and attraction. You'll do things that you never thought possible. You'll make decisions that you never would have made before. Why? Because you're kind of under this person's spell. Um, and so we've got to be careful about that. Inflaming individuals is what that's called. And then the final one, the final factor that will empower your, rational se- your irrational self is what's called group effect. Robert Greene writes these words. This is the high grade variety of group bias. When we are in a group large enough, um, uh, when we are in a group of a large enough size, we become different. And so here's what he says is notice yourself and others at a sporting event, a concert, a religious or political gathering. It is impossible to not feel yourself. Uh, to not feel yourself caught up in the collective emotion. Your heart begins to beat faster. Tears of joy or sadness come readily. Being in a group does not stimulate independent reasoning, but rather the intense desire to belong. And this is the key. 
this is the key because you've seen it before. You've probably been there before you go to a concert or you're at a political event or you're in a church, right? You're in a church setting. Churches, man, man, they crave on this. Or I think I've never been, but I've seen kind of how they move a Tony Robbins event, right? Like you go to an event and you're surrounded by a whole bunch of people who are thinking in one direction. If you're not careful, you're going to make decisions that lack your rational self, right? Uh, uh, you know, we see this in, pol- in politics in, in, and here's what this says right here. Um, uh, demagogues in politics, and I would say, and, and religion or the media try to stir a continual sense of panic, urgency, and outrage. And you see this a lot of times when election times comes. They're always talking about how horrible the world is. And I walk outside and I'm looking around and I'm thinking, what? It's, it's not that bad, but the sky has to be falling for you to want to get engaged. So they do that. They must keep the emotional levels high. Your defense is simple. Your defense is simple. So watch this. Consider, uh, consider your reasoning powers, your ability to think for yourself, your most precious possession. Resent any kind of intrusion upon your independent mind uh, by others. So this is really important for you to understand is that when you get to be a part of a group, and I actually heard, heard somebody say this a few years ago, he said, it, he said, it's interesting, the more people that you put into a room, the dumber everyone uh, seems to get. And now that's a little bit inappropriate, probably it's a little um, crude or whatever, uh, harsh to say, but there's some truth to it. It's like the more people that that we get into a, you know, a, you know, a building or something, it's like the, the, the IQ level just tends to go down, down, down and down and down. And so we have to understand uh, a couple things. Number one is this. When I'm in a group setting, and I find myself becoming irrational. Why? right? Why does it matter to me that this group accepts me? Well, I'll tell you why. Again, we talked about it before. Um, I think it was the beginning of this podcast. It goes all the way back to parenting, right? So you've got some issues where you lack community, you're alone. Uh, and this is what these kind of groups prey on. There was a movie I watched recently. It was on Netflix, or maybe it was an epi- uh, series on Netflix, and it showcased this, uh, this I don't know if they're husband and wife, but a boyfriend and girlfriend team. And it was based on a true story. And they set up these uh, these enclaves. I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, conclave, enclave. They set up these groups of people in uh, in in Asia, in uh, near a place where a lot of young people would go vacation. And they would go to the local bus stations or airports, whatever, and they would scope out who their next who the next victim was going to be. And in the end, what they do is they steal money from these people, steal their passports, steal their money. And a lot of times they would kill the people and how they found uh, the people to take on were the people who were uh, they were by themselves. They were lonely because what does everyone want when you're by yourself? I don't care. I mean, unless you have like I do, you have an introverted side and you want some time alone. Um, if you're traveling at some point, you want to find a community, right? You want to go to a local restaurant or a bar or wherever it is. And you want to find people that you can, that you can connect with. And so that's what they would do. And so there was something about, they'd bring them back to this group of all these people. And then they found this community and they found love and they found acceptance. And, and those are the people they would take advantage of. And next thing you know, you know, they're dead in the water, you know, literally. Um, so we have to be careful. We have to understand this. We have to, we have to understand this. Uh, when we get into a group setting, and we start feeling ourselves maybe getting out of sync with how everything's going. Understand, understand this. Um, you have an independent mind. You can think for yourself. This comes back to this whole thing, long-term thinking, stepping out of the situation, becoming aware, being more introspective. All of that, ha- all of that helps uh, if we're going to be in a group setting and we want to make sure that we maintain our rational mind. So there you go. 
There are the five factors that empower your irrational mind, childhood issues that you had growing up from, from growing up, sudden gains or losses will make you, uh, can make you irrational, rising pressure. Uh, certain individuals will bring out your irrationality and then the group effects. So make sure you're watching out on all of those. I'll see you on the next episode as we kind of talk a little bit more. And I think the next episode, we're talking about five strategies to becoming a more rational person. Okay. Five strategies to becoming a more rational person in life and leadership. So stay tuned for the next episode of JC Talks, a leadership podcast. I'll see you then.